God, who instructs the hearts of your faithful by the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by that same Spirit to be truly wise and live as your people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you ever have a few minutes of free time, perhaps you, like me, have scrolled through YouTube or surfed the web, and you've discovered ads and stories that are tailored according to an algorithm that believes you wish to see this or that to maximize the monetary potential of the ads that randomly pop up. So sometimes I want to throw off the algorithm and I'll start randomly searching for things that I have no care about. I'll look for information about golfing or about how big elks are or sometimes even about trains. And so one day, the algorithm plops into my feed a website for train enthusiasts and it contained this story. Every month, seven-year-old Martin and his parents took a trip to see grandma and came home on the same train the very next day. One day Martin said to his parents, I'm already grown up. I'm seven years old, you know. Why can't I go to grandma's alone? After a brief discussion, the parents agreed. The next month, they took him to the train station and placed him safely on board. They said goodbye to their son and gave him some last minute tips through the window. Martin repeated the instructions and added, you know, I've told you this more than a thousand times. I can do this. I'm seven years old. I'm all grown up. As the train was about to leave, his father murmured into his ear, son, if you feel bad or insecure, this is for you. And he put something into his son's pocket. Soon Martin was alone, sitting on the train just as he'd wanted without his parents for the very first time. He was admiring the landscape through the window, and then they recognized that there were people all around him that he didn't know, and they made a lot of noise. And they went in and out of the train car, and then the conductor came by and made some comments about him being all alone, and then he felt the eyes of a person look at him as though he was sad, and Martin began to feel more and more uneasy as every minute passed until at one point he realized he was scared. He felt cornered and alone. He put his head down and tears began to fill his eyes and then he remembered his dad had put something in his pocket. Trembling, he searched for what his father had given him. Upon finding the piece of paper, he opened it up and it read, son, I'm in the next train car. Martin's father was always there. It's just that Martin didn't know it. In the Old Testament passage, Jacob is on his way to Haran. This was a place of his ancestors. From Genesis 11 and 12, we learn that Jacob's great-grandfather, Terah, Abraham's dad, took the whole family and left a place called Ur of the Chaldeans to go toward the land of Canaan. But Terah never made it to Canaan because Terah stopped in Haran, and eventually he died there at the young age of 
250 years old. This was also the place where God called Abraham. He was still Abram at the time, but we think of him as Abraham, so I'll refer to him as Abraham. At this point, God said to Abraham, get up from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Go to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse the one who curses you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. Before Jacob was ever born, this place, Haran, was special, so it is not at all surprising that this is the place where he would go. Jacob is on the run. He and his mother, Rebekah, have schemed for him to obtain his brother Esau's blessing by tricking his elderly, dying, nearly blind father Isaac. Jacob had already tricked Esau out of his inheritance, as we learned last week. Due to Esau's fury, Rebekah, their mother, convinces her husband Isaac that Jacob should be sent back to where his family has roots near Haran to get an appropriate wife. And so, Jacob, and so Isaac blesses Jacob as he goes. He doesn't realize that's because Jacob is going to be on the run. Now Esau doesn't need to leave because he already has two wives. So this really is the soap opera that Father Charles alluded to last week. I wonder if Jacob regretted what he had done. Doesn't seem so from the text. He had traded his home, his comfort, his love of family and blankets for an area so rough that a stone was an improvement. But while on the run, participating in a multi-generational scheme, God intervenes. Jacob doesn't realize that he has something of even greater value than what he schemed to get. He has a heritage of God interacting with humanity in unexpected places. And so Jacob lays down to sleep, and he dreams. And in this dream is the ladder that goes from heaven to earth, and angels are going up and down this ladder. But no angel speaks to him. Instead, it is the Lord who speaks to him, standing above the ladder, introducing himself to Jacob as the God of his grandfather and of his father, and to whom there was a promise. And that promise extended to Jacob as well. And despite all of the family dysfunction, God would be faithful. And this is especially important to remember in our society. Some of us come from supportive homes that were life-affirming. And some of us come from families where we've experienced great pain and drama worthy of a soap opera or novella of our own. And there are other people that we interact with each day who have the same story. But whatever the background circumstances, God can introduce God's self to us in ways that we can connect with and discover that God will not leave us even if we're on the run or life is not perfect or we are not holy. I wonder too if Jacob's initial encounter with God occurred in his sleep because Jacob's mind was so full while he was awake. All the energy and brain space that he had to use to keep his lies straight, to stay safe, filled his waking hours, and left little time for spiritual meditation or growth. 
He knew his brother was after him, and his brother was filled with rage. He knew that his brother was a man of the land, who knew how to rough it, who knew how to hunt, and now he was his brother's target. Did every sound of the night cause adrenaline to course through his veins? Eventually, he does go to sleep, and he slept without an awareness of God, but he awoke knowing that God was very present. God was there, even when he didn't know it for a while. But when he came to that awareness, even while afraid, he took the time to respond to God, and his life began to change. For a moment, he recognized that there was a power greater than the human powers that had shaped his life. How often we too are like Jacob. How often things are not going smoothly, sometimes due to choices we make, sometimes due to choices that others make that have an effect on us, and sometimes we have no awareness that God is there. And then something happens. Sometimes it's a dream. Sometimes it's a person who stops by and offers us help. Sometimes it's a long-awaited letter, or a job, or a promotion, or sometimes in the midst of all the chaos, our soul finds a place of stillness and joy in the middle of it all. And we look back and realize God is present. Jacob was on the run when he encountered God. In the words of the psalmist, where can I go from your presence? Where can I hide? If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I ascend to the highest heavens, you're there too. You are everywhere. And there is no place where God is not already there. May God grant us the grace to simply notice. <laughs>